Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. It's Fiala. Fiala pulling drag. He scores! Oh! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Fiala and Downey a place. Fiala scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Joining me now... Daryl Evans, how are you doing today, Daryl? I'm great, Jess. How are you? Good. So I just explained to you before I hit the record button, ordinarily we do a King of the Week on Mondays. Today is Wednesday, but people will be hearing this on Thursday or maybe Friday. Because we have uh, a full episode planned for Monday, which will be looking back on the Stanley Cup win from 2012, talking to all those guys, we're going to do a King of the Week right now. We're going to skip the uh, honorable mention and the runner-up because it would be Kempe and Kopitar. <laughs> uh, we're just going to go straight to the Kings' one and only all-star representative this year, Kevin Fiala, um, as King of the Week. And partially because he was named to the all-star team, but also partially because of that goal he scored against Carolina. And that was an impressive goal. Uh, you know what? When you look at a goal like that, you know you sit back and you applaud him for you know the skill that a goal like that takes. Uh, and it's not the first time we've seen it, nor will it be the last time that we've seen it. He's, his ability to be able to make a play like that at full speed and change the point attack, the approach where the puck is going to be released from, is, is incredible. Waiting till that defender went down, slid just far enough past, a little curl and drag, and then not only the release of the shot, but the placement of the shot, beating the goaltender upstairs there just inside the pipe. Just a great execution by him. And, uh, again, a really highly skilled player that uh, not a lot of guys can do that. So he leads the team with 53 points in 53 games. Um, when he was acquired, Jim Fox said something along the lines of he'll be the leading. It, it was either he'll he'll have to be the leading scorer or he will be the leading scorer. Is there any surprise that he is a point-per-game player at this point? No, not at all. And uh, really you have to look at he's played a lot of the uh, season without being on that top line, without playing on – Kopitar's side that everybody thought you know the two would be married right from the beginning and you know he'd stay on Kopitar's side uh, you know pretty much his entire time but I think that just goes to show you how good of a player he is and it's no mistake that every line that he has gone on has elevated their game they've found a way to get production so that's, that's a compliment to the way that he plays he's one of those guys that has the ability as does Kopitar of making everybody on the ice a better player uh, and that's a credit to him. Uh, he does it in a lot of different ways. Uh, he jumps into the ice, makes you get him to the puck in certain situations, and he gives you the puck in certain situations. He's a great passer as well as a finisher. So, uh, no, I'm not surprised at all from what we've seen from him. Uh, a point of game, you know, he comes kind of as, uh, you know, a as advertised and, 
he was over a point a game last year, and there's no reason that he can't continue to keep that pace up. Uh, I think we're just starting to see the you know the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there's still so much more for him to be able to give to this team and for them to be able to take away from his game. So it, it happens from time to time where the conversation of, you know, naming lines, not like nicknames, but like first line, second line, third line comes up and you try and figure out, well, what line is which? And last year you could look at it and it's pretty pretty clearly Kopitar's line to Noah's line were lines one and two. But every now and then there'd be a third line that bubbled up that got the same amount of minutes. Now, last night, we're recording this on Wednesday, so... The game against Carolina. Incidentally, it's absurd that you're back in the office today. I just want to throw that out there. But looking at last night's game against the Carolina Hurricanes, even strength minutes, Kevin Fiala, Blake Lazat, Jared Anderson, Dolan played 14 minutes and 15 seconds. I followed Dano and Arvidsson 14 minutes and 10 seconds. Byfield, Kopitar, and Kempe 14 minutes and 9 seconds. So we're just going by even strength time on ice. None of those lines was the top line. But Fiala's line played six seconds more than Kopitar's line. I mean, obviously, there were special teams played to mix into that, but not a ton. No, I think when you look at last night's game and leading into it, Carolina's a team that are four lines deep. And there's really no drop-off. You look at their fourth line, guys like Stasny, who's been a number one center on a top line pretty much his entire career. So there's a lot of depth in their in their, in their their lineup. And... You have to be able to throw four lines out there, and you got to be able to spread the minutes out. If you're looking to load up your, you know, your top line to play 22, 23 minutes, uh, they're gonna at some point they're gonna find themselves get exposed just because they're gonna they're gonna get worn down by the pace of the game. So I think uh, Tom McClellan, his decision was to utilize, you know, even even the fourth unit as much as he possibly could to keep the pace of the game up. And I thought for the most part, the Kings did that. But, uh, you know, being able to open the gate and getting three lines going out there that all have the ability to be able to finish out there and create plays uh, makes the Kings a lot more difficult of a team to match up against. And that's why the Kings, you know, found a way to have some success in that game, be it that it slipped away late, but they still found a way to get a point. And I think if, uh, you know, before the game started early in the day, you would have said the Kings are going to get a point tonight. I think a lot of people would have been quite happy with that being the sixth game of a six-game road trip. Now, how many teams in the league? Obviously, Carolina is very good. I mean, very good. They might, they might be the best team in the league. I don't know if you want to put them up against Boston, but they're an incredibly deep, talented yeah. team. The reason I'm laying it on so thick on yeah. Carolina is how many teams in the league are deep enough and relentless enough to overcome a four-one lead like the Kings had going into the third period. Well, there there are. I mean, there aren't a lot that you know you that jump out and you say, okay, yeah, that 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 team you know capable of battling back because on any given night anybody can. You know, sure, we've seen crazy things happen on any. But given Carolina's game. one of only two teams with single digit loss. I, exactly. Uh, you know, they've got goaltending is a solid position for them. Uh, three goaltenders that have won ten games on the season. Uh, their special teams are up amongst the leaders. Goals for, goals against. It's just the even balance. Like you don't see a thirty or forty goal score on that team or anybody with seventy or eighty points. It's the depth that they come at you with, and on any given night, anybody can burn you. So, um, you know, with a team like Carolina, they're they're in that conversation. I think there's probably a handful of teams that you put in there. Another one would be the Colorado Avalanche with their ability to be able to win and knowing how to win. You know, Tampa's probably up there, maybe not as much of a threat as they were in the past. Uh, 
Florida would have been a team that was there. Uh, they're still looking to get their chemistry down with the trades and you know and everything, all the players that they've added and, and the changes. But uh, they're definitely up there. They're in, they're in that conversation with with the elite teams, uh, with their depth that they have, the consistency that they play with, and everybody plays the same style of hockey in that team. You don't get a drop off. So it's it reminds me a little bit of Vegas when they first came in in two seventeen. That regardless of what line was on the ice, they just kept coming at you and coming at you. And and if you weren't able to withstand you know the pressure four lines deep, then Sooner or later, it took its toll on you, and Carolina does wear teams down. You can maybe say that they wore the Kings down a little bit last night, too, uh, with their patience. You know, they found a way to hung, hang around. You know, you don't want to be down by three goals, but they still trust that they have the ability to be able to get three goals in a period, and which they, which they very much do and, and, and did last night. Part of the reason I'm sort of harping on it is because <clears throat> at the end of last year, I started saying that I can well understand how this team might miss the playoffs this year while unquestionably getting better. And at the time, the reason I said it was because I thought, well, Vancouver might make a push. They might get better than they were last year. Vegas might heal up. Edmonton and and Calgary might maintain their pace. And so there's only so many playoff spots. The rest of the conference and the division might improve faster than the Kings and the Kings could get better, but it might be out of their hands. I didn't foresee Seattle having the season <laughs> they're having. Um, but the reason I'm asking now is earlier today, I was talking with uh, one of our coworkers in the office. We were looking at the Kings record after 53 games last year. I missed the mark. I got 54, um, but it was almost identical to where they are now. The difference between this year and last year, I would argue just without spending a ton of time thinking about it, is that last year it felt like they were over-performing expectations, and this year perhaps maybe they're underperforming expectations, but doesn't that mean then that there's room to sort of propel yourself into a strong finish? Yeah, there's no doubt in my opinion that I don't think the Kings have achieved, I don't think they've reached their ceiling yet. I think they still have growth with the group that they have, and I th- think they're you know they're getting used to uh, changes that they've made from last year. And you, know, you got to remember, at the end of the last year, when the Kings had their greatest success, they were you know they didn't have Drew Doughty, you know, and then Arvidsson didn't play in the in the playoffs. Sean Walker wasn't involved as well. Uh, these guys are in the mix this year. You bring in Kevin Fiala, uh, and you know you got a little bit of a different complexion. You know, the Kings went through some growing pains in the early part of the year. When they, because of what they saw on paper, we can score more goals, we can outscore teams. But the identity of this team, and you know the, the the you know the blueprint of the team has always been defense first. Beginning of December, they dialed back into that, and we saw them go on a pretty good run there. Started to win some hockey games, beat some good hockey teams, and from time to time, it slips away a little bit. Even like this past, you know, this most recent road trip. The Kings are yet to play a complete 60-minute game. Like you see glimpses, second period against Carolina. You know, put that in a bottle and sell it. Uh, you know, that's, that's an unbelievable period. And then you'll see third period in Nashville where they had a 3-2 lead and all of a sudden they were playing on their heels. So they, they've got to figure it out a little bit. Some of it has to do this, you know, this past road trip. They were playing without some regulars, guys that have earned the trust in situations like that that you want to have in, in those situations, you know, especially when you're on the road. Guys like Trevor Moore, who, you know, he's just – his style of hockey, uh, his, you know, he's an aggressive player. Gave Velarde his size, his puck protection ability. You know, Kaliev his threat of a shot. And, you know, the physicality of a Grunstrom. So the guys that stepped in did an admirable job. Uh, you know, they allowed the Kings to keep their, their head above water. 
but the Kings are still, you know, still looking to figure that out. I think, you know, between now and the deadline, we'll look at the Kings. They'll probably, uh, you know, continue to explore, you know, getting a defenseman. You know, we've, we've talked about getting a left shot defenseman that can uh, complement the group that's already in place. But, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a, a level for the Kings yet to get to. And that, I think, comes from consistency, consistency and goal between the, you know, between the pipes. I think that's something that they'll, they'll they'll look to solidify here in the remaining part of the schedule. And if they get that all in place, then the Kings will you know make that uh, that drive just that much more of a threat. But uh, you know the parity in the league continues to keep growing each and every year. Uh, anybody can beat anybody on any given night. Health, uh, you know, strength of schedule, that, you know who you're playing when, back to back, and things like that. And then you just bring in, uh, you know, just the hockey guys, you know, the, the luck in that. So you, you've got to earn that. But, you know, your point of saying the Kings could be a better team this year and not make the playoffs, yeah, that, that's that's very much possible uh, just because of, you know, the Kings aren't flying under the radar this year. Last year they surprised a lot of teams. And, you know, this year when they can't, teams play the Kings, you know, they bring their best game. And, uh, you know, and the Kings have to find a way to do the same thing because, uh, you know, Kings play – are, pardon me, the Kings' toughest games are probably against King, teams that are below them in the standings as opposed to the teams that are above them in the standings. Uh, they tend to, I don't want to say play down, but uh, just for some reason, they tend to elevate their game a little bit higher when they're, uh, I think it's a, the fear of embarrassment. Uh, you know, like when you play against those big teams and, you know, you don't bring your best game that, you know, your chances of winning are very slim. Fortunately for the Kings, there's this weird, and I don't know if it- I don't know if I'm just noticing it more this year or if it's going to be a trend moving forward, but it feels like the gap between playoff teams and non-playoff teams opens up earlier in the season than it used to. And just looking at the standings, I sort of go like, all right, well, St. Louis, Vancouver, San Jose, Arizona, Anaheim, Chicago, I'm not worried about them making a push. So it just sort of comes down to are Nashville or Calgary good enough to bump anybody out of a spot? And if either one of those teams starts selling players before the deadline, like I don't know. Yeah, but you have to look at okay, if you're if you're focusing on two teams that you're that are in that battle. So be it; those might be the teams that either you beat out or they beat you out. But it's the other teams that I'm worried about. Those are the ones that you have to worry about because you've got a lot more games against those teams yeah. than against Calgary and Nashville. You know, you want to take care of your own games. They call them those four point games and things like that, but. If you're not going to be able to perform against teams that are below you in the standings, and you've got a lot of games left against those teams, you've got to remember the, these teams—they're uh, not down there because they're bad teams. Uh, you know, they're, they're maybe in a different—you uh, know—different uh, part of their, uh, uh, re, you know, rebuild, so to speak. Uh, you know, maybe they've had some injuries, and you know, maybe it's just been a little—you know—a little bit of bad luck. But you cannot discount any of these teams because. All that those teams want to do right now is they want to play spoiler. They don't want, you know, they're not going to lay down to anybody, uh, you know. So you you you've got to find a way to play consistent. And if you play consistent and you can execute your game plan, you're going to give yourself a fair chance to win in each and every night. Uh, you're not. It's not going to be the case every night. Some nights you might play your best hockey and you're going to lose. So be it. But if you play that way against every team, you're going to find your way. You find yourself in the good side of things. Everything you just said is true. However, the Anaheim Ducks are a bad team. I was going to well, say that. You know, I, I, I don't even want to say they're a bad team because it's they're they're playing bad as a team. Uh, I don't think they're a bad team. It's just they haven't found a way to uh, you know to get any type of traction. They've got some great individual skills, but it's the team game that is you know they're missing some pieces. Um, 
if you look at some you know individuals, you break down their individuals. Some people say, oh, they got some great young players, which they do, but they need the glue players, and they've got to they've got to get that all figured out. So, but that's a team that you know it's a huge threat for the Kings because you know they're just down the road, and sure. they would love nothing better to sit there and make sure the Kings don't make the playoffs if they're not making them. So let's talk about Kevin Fiala real quick because. He's a player who, if you look at his line mates and who he's played most of his minutes with, he's played a bunch of minutes with Kopitar and Kempe. And then it's just, uh, it's almost every other guy on the roster, right, as far as who they've paired him with. Um, a conversation that's sort of come up between me and Dooley and some other people is, never mind contract status, never mind other line chemistry, never mind any of the things that might make you go a different route. Of available players on the forwards, I guess, on the Kings roster in the Kings system, what's the ideal type of line mate for a Kevin Fiala? It, you know, it, that's a real tough question just because Fiala is such a different player than everybody else that's in the lineup. Usually with a winger, you're looking for a centerman that is a puck handler, a distributor, and, and you know, Fiala, you'd probably say, is a finisher, but Fiala is probably as equally gifted passing the puck as he is being able to finish the play. Uh, so that makes it a little bit more unique. Uh, I think he and Kopitar have really started to build some chemistry through the course of the year. I think at the beginning of the season, you know, it was a, it was a tough adjustment. Uh, you know, Kopitar is such a, a structured player, and Fiala is a little bit more of a you know, a, a wild, a wild player like you know, he's just a you know, free, free skating. You know, skill, 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 go, go, go. You know, I'll exchange you, you know, chance for chance, and I'm going to win at the end of the night. But that's not the way the Kings play, and um, I think he's adjusted that. He's starting to become a little more responsible, playing a complete 200 foot game. I'm actually, uh, you know, a little surprised that maybe Fiala hasn't taken on a little bit of penalty kill time because I think that would mm. dial in that part of his game to have him play a little bit more on the defensive side of things. You know, some people, uh, you know, think that he's maybe just a one dimensional player that he's, that he's an offensive player, but great offensive players. If they've got the puck on their stick, the majority of the time, yeah, they're going to make mistakes, but more times than not, there's going to be rewards at the other end. And I think Kevin Fiala has, has that ability um, in the different combinations that he's been on the ice with. You know, you look at even like with Blake Lazat and, uh, you know, Blake Lazat necessarily wouldn't be considered the best playmaker in the NHL, but he's learned to play with Kevin Fiala, play to his strengths. And that that's where that communication comes in on the ice. It's the chemistry that players can build, learn each other's tendencies, where you're going to be, where a guy likes the puck. Does he like it you know, on the backhand? Does he like it on the forehand? Does he like it behind him when he's shooting? Where's his wheelhouse? So all those little, little details make the difference of, you know, Pucks going in the net or plays being you know completed and um, again he he can play with anybody I think he can play the left side he can play the right side and I think he can play both both sides of the special team so uh, he he is that unique of an individual and uh, he's uh, he's a treat to watch um, and I, I know the Kings are enjoying playing with him and he's settling in nicely with his new teammates but uh, Kevin Viala has been a great addition to this team. Now you tell me if this is crazy this popped into my head over the last week. For whatever reason, I was thinking about when Zegris played with Turcotte and Kaliev at the World Juniors. And all I could think of suddenly was, well, I think Fiala's, I don't want to say 
better than Zegris, but at least at this point in their careers, he's a more accomplished, more mature, more experienced player than Zegris. Is that Fiala, Turcot, and Kaliev a combination that might work, trying to recreate the the whatever the effectiveness that, that those three players had at World Juniors? Well, I think Turcot's still trying to find his game. Sure. Uh, that consistency factor. We we've seen it, you know, over the years with, you know, Kempe, Velarde, Kaliev. Kapari, you know, all these players at different stages, there's glimpses, you know, Quentin Byfield, look at, look at, you know, look at where his game has gone. And uh, it's meant him moving from his, you know, his primary position at center to play the wing. And his game is starting to round out nicely. It's growing. Uh, it, it takes time for the young guys. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Turcotte, when you look at his game, uh, consistency being in the lineup each and every night, whether it's at the NHL level, the American Hockey League level, I don't think that matters right now. I think he needs to find a way to stay healthy, uh, continue to keep building his game, growing his game. Because let's face it, you're still playing against men down in the American Hockey League. We can all agree that it's you know it's not the same level as the NHL. We know that, but you're playing against some really darn good players down there. So you you find a way, you excel in the, in those opportunities, and with that, you get rewards to being called up. And that's why he's, you know, he's with the Kings right now uh, because of the way he was playing down there. And he's had some good games on this past road trip. So uh, he's definitely taken a, a another step to his game. There's still a long way to go. Uh, Turcotte with his, again, his, you know, his hockey IQ, his uh, tenacity on the puck. Yeah, he could, he could play with a guy like with Fiala because Fiala is one of those guys that hounds the puck. And if you get possession, but. First thing he's doing, he's diving into a hole. Get, give me the puck. He wants the puck. And then if you look at a guy like Kaliov on the other side, well, he's got the cannon. He wants the puck too. So, uh, you know, if Turcotte, again, you know, puck protection, holding on to the puck, play with that poise that he's played with throughout his entire life, you know, at, at younger stages, once that comes around at this level, yeah, I could see that line come together. All right, I got one more question about one more line for you. Quentin Byfield, uh, the narrative that sprung up around him was, oh, he'll be the replacement for Andre Kopitar someday. And then that sort of morphed into, he'll be mentored by Andre Kopitar someday. And then that sort of morphed into, he will be exactly like Andre Kopitar in every way, which sort of graded on me. But now, for a number of different reasons, I suppose necessity being, you know, the most or the biggest one, he's on the wing alongside Andre Kopitar. And Kopitar and Kempe have both come on offensively since putting Quentin Byfield on the wing. So it's sort of an open-ended question for you here, but is there something about a player like Quentin Byfield that can open up opportunities or flow or chemistry or whatever it is for his line mates that maybe you don't necessarily see immediately? You know, like he's not making these dazzling plays where he's getting the primary assist or, you know, he's potting a bunch of goals himself. But is there something about his game and his strengths that might give a, a boost to his line that, that maybe the average fan doesn't automatically – let me rephrase that, that I don't automatically see because I don't well, – well, well, I think, Jess, when you first look at it, you know, the thing that jumps out, you look at the number two overall pick with Quentin Byfield. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge expectation right there, especially when you look at other players that are in the draft that we either drafted one before him, one after him, two after him, that are maybe having more success with their teams immediately. Now, Byfield's on a team that's, you know, in, on, 
competing for a playoff spot, got into the playoffs last year. So he's got a little bit more of a responsibility. He also, his, his growth you know, curve might be a little bit different than the other players. Uh, that's not to say that he can't get there. He wasn't going to get the ice time in a situational play playing in the middle of the ice. He was not going to push Kopitar or Deneau out of their positions at this stage of his career yet. So how do you get him that ice time? You throw him to the side and you try it out. Well, you put him with Kopitar. Now here's a guy that you're going to mentor him. This is who you want him to play like. You want him to play a game like that, learn to play a complete 200-foot game. Kopitar was taught the same thing when he first came to the Kings. Play a complete, structured 200-foot game. And to his credit, he's one of the best at it. And he's, you know, you go every rink that we go around, people are amazed at Kopitar's efficiency at this stage of his career and how effective he is. And again, it's still his ability to be able to control a game and compliment guys. He loves playing with Quentin Byfield. We've talked about it after practices. Uh, they communicate well. What is it about it that he loves so much? Well, I think it's his willingness to be a big sponge and listen to absorb what's going on, take in what's happening, and and, and take direction. Um, let's face it, Kopitar isn't where he's at because he just goes out there, you know, plays and just does everything on his own. He communicates. He's had great line mates throughout his career, and. You know, with Quentin Byfield, there, there's a lot of communication, a lot of talk there. And I think Kopitar sees the potential in Byfield. Byfield now has got some confidence. And when you play on the top line, you know, your game grows. Just like the guys that are playing with Fiala, you're sitting there going and saying, okay, well, we're on the, you know, if you want to call it the third line, we're on the third line. Yeah, but you're playing with the team's top scorer. So you figure it out. You're playing with that guy for a reason. So uh, Byfield's playing with a guy like Kopitar for a reason and Kempe. So he comes in, two pieces of that line are already established, you know, in, in stone, two great NHL hockey players. Uh, Kempe, you know, career high last year with goals. Kopitar, you know, his career speaks for itself. So Byfield comes in now, and even in practice, like you, you could sit there and watch practice and say Quentin Byfield had an unbelievable practice today. He was the best player in practice. And that's what you want to see because you might not see that the next night in the game. But it's got to start in a practice. If he starts and has that type of passion and commitment in practice, eventually it comes into the games. You, we're starting to see more and more of it in the games. A couple of the passes as he made the vision. But more importantly is his compete level. He's winning puck battles now. He's stripping guys of pucks. Before, you know, he was using his legs to get into a battle. Now he's using his legs in the battle. He's engaging the big muscles, that being his backside and his legs. He's getting down there. He's getting down on his stick. He's taking a hit. He's hitting guys. And he's coming up with pucks. Yeah, does he get knocked down? Of course he does. And he always will, just like everybody else does. But there's a lot more fight in him now. And he's got more confidence in his ability to be able to come out, whether it's with strength or quickness. Uh, his escape moves are getting to be a lot better. And he's got his head up, so he, he his game is growing. There, you know, he's there's still so much area for him to grow in. But uh, him playing alongside Kopitar is probably the best thing that has happened to him because he's playing the game the right way. And there's no days off. You know, you look at uh, optional skates. You know, pregame skate if the team's not skating, Andre Kopitar's out there. So if I'm a young guy, I'm 20, 21 years of age, and I'm watching a guy who's been around for as long as Kopitar has, I'm going to follow those footsteps. So I'm watching the games and. I'm seeing I, – I can't remember the last time the Kopitar had a line mate that was as big as Quentin Byfield. I, I'm sure it must have happened at some point, but 
the two names that pop out into my mind are Dustin Brown and Justin Williams, Alex Iafalo, Marion Gabrick. Like these are not six foot four guys. Is it possible that having a player like that that can do all the things you just talked about, win those puck battles, have that vision, right? Like that pass he made to Adrian Kempe, um, where he didn't try and force it on the inside, he sort of finessed it around the outside and then Kempe got its Kopitar. Is it possible that having another player that other players have to contend with his size, but also his vision, his creativity, that that opens up more space than maybe an Andre Kopitar normally has to operate in? Or am I overthinking? It? No, I, I think there there's something there. There's definitely, it, it's different. You, you look at, you know, the line that he played with the most in BNI Afalo and Dustin Brown, they worked in a different way. And they played well off of each other. Their their ability to read off of each other, jump into the holes, uh, the physicality that Dustin Brown brought, the ability for Aya Fowler to get pucks on sticks, breaking up plays in the forecheck when he was in there, and then to be able to find each other on the ice. Kopitar was probably more, if you look at like when he was with Brown and Aya Fowler, he's probably the main distributor on that line. Where you look at Byfield, who is a natural centerman, centermen tend to be distributors of the puck. So he's got a little bit more of that in his game than Brown, Iafalo, Justin Williams, Marion Gabrick, whoever you want to say. Because, you know, maybe another guy that maybe you could like it to might have been when Kopitar and Jeff Carter played a little bit together. Because Co- Carter played in the middle as well. Mm-hmm. Got the ability to make plays. He's also he had six the, foot four. <laughs> yeah, six foot four. Had the size, got the great shot coming off the wing. So with Byfield, like his ability. Uh, you know, to be able to hang on to the puck and 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 yet, you know, again, still the vision on the ice from being that of a centerman, maybe a head on the swivel a little bit more out there where wingers are more straight up and down. Uh, that, you know, that could definitely be, you know, something that'll play, you know, play to his advantage, especially playing with a guy like Kopitar, because, you know, now you have the ability to have two guys with that kind of vision. If you play off them, you know, Kempe is probably more of the straight line type of player on that line. Like he gets in there quick in a forecheck, little, you know, you look at the physicality he plays with now. He's such a strong player. His shot, uh, I don't want to say Byfield doesn't have as good a shot, but, uh, you know, he's learning how to get into the spots to get that shot off and probably still, you know, when he gets the puck on his stick, he's probably still looking, you know, being young. He's looking to dish to Kopitar and Kempe. But there's going to be times when he gets a little bit more selfish and he'll drop the shoulder and start dragging guys to the net. He'll drop penalties and, and the whole line will reap the rewards for it. But uh, his game is coming along nicely and uh, it's it's just time. You know, you can't sit there and put your foot on the accelerator and say, okay, bang, we want to take it up three years because over three years you play, you know, 200 games, 220, 30, 40, you know, games over, over, over three years. You need that experience. You need to get knocked down. You need to get knocked back a notch, and then you learn from that. And right now, as he gets knocked down, he's learning. Well, it's fun to watch. Daryl, I've kept you longer than I told you I would. Thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure, Jess. Anytime. All right, Kings fans, it is time for me to tell you about one of the coolest things to ever happen to me as a result of this job. I hope it doesn't come across as bragging because it's really just here to give you some context for the conversation you're about to hear. At some point, Early in 2022, I honestly don't remember when, we found out that the 2012 Stanley Cup winning Kings team was going to be throwing a 10-year anniversary celebration for the players, by the players, that kind of thing, very hush-hush. After a while, it was clear that the Kings were going to be sending a small camera crew to the event to grab some interviews and testimonials about Dustin Brown. 
For whatever reason, I think it had more to do with other people having already booked vacations. I was going to be the person conducting the interviews. When you ultimately see the video, uh, the black and white video that's coming out, sorry, production team, I'm stepping on it, and you see those guys staring just off to the side of the camera talking to some unknown person, that's me. I'm the unknown person. Sorry to ruin the illusion. Um, anyway, August rolls around. We're there for the celebration. We're set up in a business suite. We're talking to the guys one at a time as we can. As the day is wrapping up and getting ready to head home, one of the camera guys says to me, hey, we're going to go shoot the dinner that the team is having out on the cliffs, but we don't know who most of these guys are. Now, I love these guys on this crew, but they weren't here 10 years ago. They're not Kings fans. So they say, would you mind coming down with us for like 20 minutes? And just be a spotter. Tell us who's who. Point out any shots or moments that we might not recognize. So, sure, of course I'm going. Of course. So I go, and I'm trying desperately to just be a fly on the wall. This is a party for the guys that won the cup. I'm not even really supposed to be there. We're not even allowed to tell people that we're there, what we're doing. You know, nobody. Not talking to anybody about it. So just trying to play it as cool as possible. Uh, but at some point earlier in the day, I had asked somebody, I don't even remember who, if at some point I could talk to Mark Yannetti and Mike Fuda together for the podcast. So I'm off to the side of this dinner, trying not to interfere, trying not even to be noticed. And suddenly someone calls my name. The King's executive, he calls me over into the mass, into the team. I am intensely uncomfortable, but he calls me over and there's Mark Yannetti, who I won't say I'm friends with, but I will say I like him a great deal. I think we're friendly. I think Mark likes me. And Mark's there, Mike's there, and they say, let's do it. Let's knock this out. I said, I don't want to bother you. You're a he said, no, 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 let's do it. Let's do it right now. So I happen to have brought these two little clip-on mics that plug into my iPhone in my pocket for just such an occasion. And we go, and we settle down under this little cabana on a cliff, looking out over the Pacific Ocean as the sun is setting, and the 2012 Stanley Cup champion LA Kings are all reuniting around us. Um, and I have this 20-minute conversation with two of the architects of that team. As I said, I had two little mics, but I didn't have three. So I mic'd up Mike and Mark, and I wasn't going to waste any more of their time doing sound checks. All of that is a long way of saying I'm sorry if the volumes of our three voices are completely off balance, and if it's not always clear what I'm saying to them. Honestly, I wish I could do an entire podcast just talking about what it was like to be there that night and the next day. But this is supposed to be your show as much as it is mine. So here's my conversation with Mark Yannetti and Mike Fuda. Mark Eddie. Hello. How's it feel to be around the boys? It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's different. It's really cool, but it's just, it's just, it's a, it's a strange feeling. I mean, like, some of it feels natural. Like just sitting next to this guy feels normal, but then some of it feels a little artificial too. But it's, it's just, it's kind, of, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. My food. I've said to other people, but I don't think I've ever said to you. I'm not a big nickname guy. Do I call you Futes? I don't, it doesn't. It doesn't. Right. I used to be Futes, and then yeah. I crossed the border, and Dean Lombardi, the mobster, yeah. started calling me Futes. It didn't matter. Futes, Futes, I, it didn't matter. He still like knows. Him. He says though, the best decision he ever made. <laughs> we but didn't know each other, so it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Around all the guys and hearing all the nicknames, does it ever get hard to keep track? Well, some guys, it's like it's well, it's it's a different attitude too. Because I mean, and I'm not, but. I, my personality and stuff, I got to know, you know, I got to know the players a lot differently. 
right? And then, and Mark was like, he's so business oriented, and we we just played off each other's strengths so much for two people that never met each other. But it was funny because certain players have different nicknames that. You know, it's not just as easy as Smitty off of Smith. Guys go with it's pretty, get pretty creative with nicknames and stuff like that. Like Stick, Justin Williams, Stick. You know, so I didn't even know that was his nickname. No, but, he's, <laughs> but it's incredible the way they come off it. It's not just as basic as Kobe. These guys are they're brilliant in their nicknames. But to see these guys in this environment is like special. It's really nice. So we've been asking all the players during that run. Was there a moment for them that they knew that like, oh, this is a chance we can win the cup? But I'll ask you guys a little bit different version of that question. Was there a moment where you putting the team together? You know, where you felt like now we have the potential to get to a moment like that. I don't know that you ever think you're going to win a cup. I mean, that's pretty, I think it's pretty arrogant to say you, you think you're going to win the cup. I mean, it's it's really hard. But it's funny. I think going into that year, we had we felt really good about the team. And then ninth, by about January, we're ninth place on like, the verge of, like, everybody. Is in, this party's not happening. And then uh, Dean made a very bold decision to bring in Daryl, which uh, wasn't a publicly, at the time, it was not thought to be the great decision. And... I guess there is one decision he made better than us. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty good one to bring Daryl, and Daryl just took things over. Were you guys against that decision? Oh, well, I not being, I actually was part of the and no, I, I wasn't involved. I, 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 no, no, Mike would have, Mike, I, I would have no knowledge of that situation. Yeah, Mike, no, would have I was much like, more. it was like Dean, Dean, like I, I think, and it's a different background. Like Mark is the best uh, knowledge scout like that I've ever met. Hockey, brilliant, brilliant. It, it, the the effort he puts in, and that's why we. I think we really balance each other out. I was more. We always argued. I was all character. You were um, hockey sense. We have the bar. But the, once we put it together, it was fine. But I had been a general manager and junior and stuff, so I had a bit of more of a background to deal with Dean on stuff like that. And when he explained, he's like, "If I don't make this call, you know, we were kind of going quietly around and interviewing guys in the background when he decided he was going to make a change with Terry." But it was like a no-brainer that Daryl was going to be his guy, and why did he knock it out of the park? Although. Although, he brought in Daryl, because I remember the conversation when he brought, because we were there, the two of us were there when he brought, when he was bringing Daryl, and he told us, we're going to get this guy in, he's going to kick their asses, he's going to whip, he, you know, and he was like, he drill sergeant, and then he got the hugs and puppy dogs, Daryl, for the first two months. Daryl's, Daryl's a smart, he's like, <laughs> he's brilliant. reasons, he's, he gives it off the old guffaw farmer thing, and he's absolutely hockey brilliant, and this Yeah, he knew team, exactly what the team needed. This team needed a captain. Not that's no knock to Brownie, but he, they needed that direction. We had so many captains. We had nine captains, but Daryl came in and showed him what all work was about. And I mean, I still remember when his thing started to turn. You knew we had Quickie, but it just started to change the way we played. And I always said that we had to play playoff games almost for the last month and a half just to get in. So we were so battle tested. I think Vancouver already had an asterisk for a month. They're sitting back. You know, they haven't played a tough game in months, and we just came in, Stoli scored the goal, Lewis turned it over, I still remember that goal, and it just was like, look out. Yeah, you called me, because you would just, oh. I was still at the uh, World, I was still at the World Under 18, yeah. and you had gone home for the first playoff game, and he did, he called me up, he goes, Yank, you got to get out of here, this is, uh, oh, he goes, remarkable. He goes, no, he goes, no, something special is going to happen. Yeah. After like, game one? Oh, yeah. You could just he told me right away. Like, and it was like, and it wasn't, and it wasn't like, it's easy to look back after you've done it something, but it, it was the way, and for me... I mean, one cha championship, but I mean, the Stanley Cup, we were up three, nothing every series. So it's like you never had that. And it wasn't easy. There was like that St. Louis, everything was a battle. But from our standpoint, you were never going to bet at night that if we lose tomorrow, we're out. 
right? We were at this group was finding a way and just peaking at a time that just nobody wanted anything to do with. Them. And when you have the best goaltender in the world at, at, uh, on top of it, it's a, it's a pretty good mix. We're the best everything. Oh, just carrots. Two or three questions that are totally unprofessional and I shouldn't ask, but I'll just oh, kill myself for well, it. I don't know. After the one you asked me at the end of the last interview, I don't know how you go. I give you a chance to back out of it. I give you a chance to back out of it in front of all. Hey, you want the easy question? Yeah. No, I could look like a wuss and back out of it. That I was, that was a great. Nah, it's fine. I didn't mind doing uh, it. Like, look at these guys. Did you guys hate Vancouver as much as the fans did? I did, because, and honestly, because uh, I grew up with Mike Richards. And we talked about it tonight. He was my nemesis in junior. He's capped for me. He was captain. Ryan Smith had, but he was captain Canada for me. And when that whole ordeal went on with Burroughs, with the stick under his nose and stuff like that, and then I think it was either somebody, I think Browning, not somebody, the next shift just absolutely blew him up. And then the whole series changed. Like you don't ever, somebody with that kind of pedigree of Mike Richards to do what he did, you don't light a fire under a team that's ready to win anyways and it was like it just defined what we were all about and Daryl's one of those guys about finding rallying points but this group just needed that direction and then once they got it it was off to the church he's different too like I don't I don't care about any team I don't I, I don't I don't but care he's good, also said I don't care about anything good or bad call. I'm like we, that's we offset we're like Oscar Oscar and Felix kind of what we were but together I hope we'd be more like Brad and George well, I know your wife's worried <laughs> about the relationship we developed over That's the years, right. but it's like, honestly, it was such, every day you came in, you were learning something. You were, Dean was, Dean had a mind that was so, what did they call it? Now there's a guy with a thousand different nicknames. It was like Mr. Magoo, then it was Rain Man. Like, I'll give the, you a few. Uh, yeah, we had a couple <laughs> others inside that we never shared with them, but you were always learning. And for us off the ice, just as the team was getting better, we were getting better as a staff where it got to a point that if you look at our record, and he knows it better than ever, the amount of players that we drafted as a staff, it wasn't even close to, like, as far as Dean said, if you get two NHLers a year, you're going to the Hall of Fame, which we're clearly not going to the Hall of Fame, but we were, it was, we were knocking it out of the park. And that was because incredible staff, his, and I, I really think part of the, my ability, because I knew half these guys, like Don Cherry said, you're putting together an Ontario Hockey League all-star team. And I'm like, well, I coached. I was the worst coach ever, but I coached Richards, Carter, Richardson. We were on the ice. No, you had center. intimate knowledge of these guys that goes beyond scouting. I mean, and that's one of the things with his personality. I mean, it's not my thing. It's, you know, it's something he's really good at. But, like, 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 again, he knows Carter. He knows, like, he knows what can happen with Carter in the right environment. He knows Daryl. He knows what Daryl could do in the right environment. Like, you know, Dean leaned on him pretty heavily back then. And rightfully so. I mean, Simmons. Yeah, like Simmons. I mean, again, trading. Like, like, as I said, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of the strengths he had, you know, in, in terms of you're still building a team. You know, and it was pretty, I said, it's as unique a team as there will ever yeah. be. I mean, I don't, again, I'm, I'm biased. And, again, I, I don't care. There's not a team in the world that could beat that team in a seven-game series. I'm not saying they're the best team. I'm not saying the most talented. But you know, seven games, there isn't anybody. You know they say two teams, like it's like they copycat? They all come back to what, and it's Daryl and Dean's way. It's hard and heavy. We were skilled. We didn't have that elite, like, until the one year. I mean, we traded for Gabby and Gabby in a window in 2014, scored all these goals. But with this group, they just willed themselves. Like, I mean... Like Dustin, Dustin Brown for all for all these shots. Like Dustin Brown was like that year. He was up for the coming into our in the Jersey series. He was probably Smythe eligible. Yep. Like right, and then Quickie just 
quickies, quickies. One of the questions we've been asking all the players was uh, who are the unsung heroes, who are the guys that didn't get enough credit, but once we started talking to some of them, we realized everybody says the same thing, which is what you're just saying, which is that there was balance, you know, amazing goaltenders, six healthy defensemen that never miss a game, balance up and down the lines, everybody plans it. Was there an unsung hero, or was everybody just pulling in, in the same direction? Well, there was an, unhun- there was an unsung hero whenever you needed one. That's that's the best you know, thing. I mean, that's, that's what it was. I mean, was there an unsung hero? No. I mean... Uh, I mean, the guys, regardless whether it's Tampa, whether it's L.A., whether it's Chicago, whether it's Pittsburgh, there are certain guys that are going to get all the credit. That's life. That's how it works. Tom Brady's going to get the credit. Um, so there's always has to be unsung heroes. But I don't know. Our guys, there was an unsung hero every game. You know, every game when you needed something. And I think that's what, and winning, right, going through the growing stage of how to learn how to lose. And if you still love each other when you're losing, imagine how much you're going to, it actually exposed a lot of stuff, like a little bit of not uncharacteristic stuff about names in the cup and who's getting the cup. It gets you get a little full of it, but that team was so well structured. Um, and the other thing, unsung heroes, you start to think about when you really watch the game. And Dean said you know, study the game. Like you know, like Stoli scored the goal, but if Trevor Lewis doesn't go back and get under the stick and turn it over, and that's so that's an, it's a play though, but it's an unsung hero. Like. You talk about Rob Scuderi. I mean, you go back to his Pittsburgh when he batted that puck in the crease out. It should have been a un, it should have been a goal. Like you're, you go back and you think about the fi- finite inches or millimeters where Canada. Sorry, apologies. Between how, what it takes to win and when and not winning, it's something. It's that little extra. Like it's like you think about an Alec Martinez. That I still talk. The other day I got shivers. I know we're talking 2012, but that 2014. Double like the, the, that overtime goal in Chicago that went from the loudest building in the world to emptiness, and you could see the puck flutter in. You need to have luck, but when you work as hard as and the attention to detail that the coaching staff and Dean had put into this team, that nobody was going to outcoach us, and they believed in themselves so much, they felt we were going to win forever. So this is another question that is just for me. Uh, game four against St. Louis. I'll never never ever ever get over what happened in Kings in 98 against St. Louis the five minute major they scored four goals I, whatever I was a kid it was scarred it scarred me forever um, so for the Kings to sweep St. Louis was particularly pleasing for me but that goal that doesn't Brown scored in the empty net I believe was louder than Kings six I didn't even see it <laughs> no I didn't no I, no, I was no, in I a game was. I was scouting he, you gotta, <laughs> no, you gotta ask was. him but that series like that's what I hate about sports when they tell you you got swept and I'll tell Mike Richards this right now the part because they swept us in junior and double overtime triple overtime like it's like they won four games but when you, you feel so defeated when you hear the word sweep and that's St. Louis series was close oh my god Jonathan Quick you know what I mean like there was they had us like it was like his ice was tilted to, and he just was just Jonathan Quick and and it's just tough but then they believe themselves and then they start to just see it you know what that's behind you first of all you always have a chance to win I mean you've got I mean you think about who the back was Jonathan Bernier um, he was supposed to be the franchise goalie for years and he can't get the net because this Jonathan Quick's just not <laughs> it just turned into Jonathan Quick. Anyways, there's just so many different things that go into winning, and then once you finally do it, it's like, I guess it's different for them because they're immediately on the ice and they pile it on. We pile it on wearing suits, 
and then we run down and then we go on the ice and you're like looking at it going we're gonna yeah that was <laughs> they're handing cool. that to us right and then we we literally we shared each other's successes our, he and I have remained I'm not a part of the organization anymore but uh, from the day that Dean Lombardi he I there's nobody in the game I respect more and I consider him my best friend in hockey and uh, that to me is an un and that's just the respect and I didn't know him like because this the game has turned into so much about who you know and what you know and where you played to get the next job and Dean just decided to put two polar opposites together and they end up really doing a good job and that's probably an understatement and they end up being best friends so. no it's pretty cool I, I, it's everything he said I mean it's really cool. it is it's really cool I don't have a whole lot of best friends in the world it's not my thing but it's really good I got when to go to his wedding I got to go to yeah he went to my wedding I got to his wedding he danced to Pertinent Permanent Penguin Personal thing. Personal thing. Personal thing. Yeah, that's that's that might not that guy, might not be a high point. I, I got to see a guy that had the mafia in one corner, is absolutely shredded physically. He takes care of himself, and then they bring up like oh, yeah. eighteen because he's such a finite eater. Would they bring cheeseburgers? Yeah, uh, a whole bunch of cheeseburgers and chicken fingers. Everybody else is eating a regular wedding menu. And he's Do I need to start recording for clarification on the mafia comment? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh god, he's being no, a wise. No, 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 no Italian not, guys. Not, Italian uh, guys. Oh, no, they were sorry. They, just, they were just guys that came out of jail. Right. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> no, they they're all nicknames. Tony the Hat. They're all friends of my dad's. What was the first time that you saw your name on the cover? You know what? This sucks. I'm such a. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't. I think you call. You know what? I, I think he it. called. I, I think he something. saw. Yeah, he was at something. and He saw it before. I think before anybody. And he called me yeah, and said, said it was right there. Right. So I don't. The only thing I can remember about my name on the cup is him calling me and saying it was on it. You know, but I, I think I, I told that him sucks. I, I don't remember. Right. Yeah, I think he might have said that because he's always got to die. It was sure. like everybody no, calls me like name same thing. Yeah. Oh, I get same thing. F O O T A. Fuda. I'm like, it's not even close. It's not even close to the hole. When was the first time you saw your name? When they brought it out, they, it was like the first team function after they had, uh, uh, I was really early in the process of my day with the cup and they had already sent it to Montreal to have it done. So I was fortunate enough when they took it out of the box, it was there, right? And I was like, it probably wasted half my day just staring at it going, oh my God. I don't even remember if my name was on the cup when I got it. I would. Uh, I don't think no, so. Not the first time. No, I don't think so. Be, You're right. I think it would have been the second. Yeah. I, they, but it was. I just think such, the first time I saw it in person might it, have been it, when we were in LA. It's 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 not so much. Like, you take it for granted for one thing because it seems like it's ten years, right? You always think you're going to keep winning it. It's just we had two and I conference thought final. In between. I thought we'd and win. If, I thought Paris, we'd win at least one more. If we didn't run into really some did. issues off, yeah. we probably would have been in the mix for a couple more. But regardless it's amazing when you bring it up like and you think like my favorite player growing up well Doug Gilmore got one but Wendell Clark so I have my Stanley Cup party at Wendell Clark's bar and I completely forgot that he's like never won it <laughs> and here I am like and I'm like come on let's take a picture and he's like because <laughs> I can't touch it I'm not allowed to touch oh, it oh that's awful and it's hilarious but you think of the amount of incredible players like Hall of Famers that never had a chance to experience it and to be a part of it. And, and then two f***ing scrubs like us are on it. Oh my no, God, now I'm embarrassed. What helps me with the whole process, though, is to seeing what these guys went through because there's teams that haven't won around that think they're there. And then these guys, to be on the plane and stuff and see, like, Jeff Carter walking down with an intervenous and Jonathan Quick with his leg. Looks like a mash unit. These guys losing, like, 12, 15 pounds in the process of a 16-game victory thing. 
you're like you just don't understand the sacrifice because at some point there's going to be a point at any point in that in that playoffs where you're at a point where if if we lose this is pretty cool we did a good job but if you dig in there's a chance this is going to go on and you've got to make a decision and do you want to go those do you want to keep going through the wall because it's going to be painful and these guys found a way to do it twice so it's pretty cool so game six, I'm up in the 300s, season ticket holder, been going to the games with my dad. You were right below us. 20-something years. We were. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wait, that's we were. right, I got to turn They around. found a spot, we were, remember where we were? <laughs> uh, we were with Bob Euchre. So it was the last game that he and I went together, uh, cried like a baby when it happened. How many people come up to you and tell you stories like that? People tend to talk to him a whole lot more than they tend to talk to me. Like, geez, I've I, got a lot more. Like, yeah, like, 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 no, no. You want? Want to know how many people come up and tell me? One. All right, <laughs> well. Like, no. Like, I'm, I, I don't know. I uh, like, even when I even people tell him all the time. And again, it was like I had moved. Like, Yank was still based in Boston, so I had moved here, right? Yeah. So I had become more like personable with the fans and stuff like that. And there were fans that like they, I, so I got to speak in front of the fan club, and so there was more of a. It had nothing because I always presented us as a team. But that's the way. That's the way it was. So I had people coming up, and this is what happened. This is what happened, and and I still remember because it was pretty funny. Because our power play, in spite of what people like to say, wasn't really good in 2012 in the playoffs. And then when Scuds got hit from behind, right, and they roll it out and score. I think we scored four. So it's the weirdest feeling because you think you're going to have a tight game. We're up. I think it was five nothing or something at the first period. Awesome. I think Green even. It was Green awesome. Scored, no last, offense. Last Green yeah. scored the last one. Like you're like every, that gave you time to have things roll through your mind that how this is going to be, what it's going to be like, and, it, and that that part was kind of amazing. And then and it was different. Like the second one, I was in the management box instead of this one. But we're like hugging. We're going to win the cup. How do we get down? And then they're like, because nobody knew how it went. They couldn't even get us. We're, we're sitting in line. And I know he's probably... It's probably we weren't a, sitting in line for that long. We were moved through we that. We, we were right there pretty I good. I remember the funniest Some, thing, and I don't want it, because I, I, I know he doesn't work for the organization anymore, but I know there's a mascot code that the mascot's not allowed to talk, right? So I still remember us being... Gar- and, and Bailey comes by and goes... What are you guys doing? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you got to be on the ice. And Timmy's like, I'm like that. laughing. And he grabs us. Yeah, and pulls us on <laughs> the ice. He's like, so... <laughs> like, yeah, we're with the band. <laughs> Bailey's like, yeah, you guys, you're so important. you got to be on the ice. But we didn't, like, whatever. We had the way it turned. So I Bailey grabbed us. And so here's <laughs> stupid thing. Who broke the rule because you're not allowed to talk and throws us on the ice to go out and celebrate with the boys. So it was pretty cool. Well, I don't want to keep you guys from your party. Like no. We could talk forever, so time, I could do this. No, that's cool. Well, if you ever want to do it, call us. <laughs> I'm gonna now. <laughs> oh, I'm good, you know that. <laughs>